and it is time for episode 18 and we are finally getting back together Steffi I know it's been a little bit crazy for both of our schedules the national championship is over we've had a week to somewhat decompress and probably more so than you I think you've been <laughs> I mean completely grinding it out yeah. so we've got to hear about all of your festivities, all the parties you went to up in the Final Four in Minneapolis, and now just having a chance to somewhat reflect back on the men's and women's side that we have champions that they cut down the nets, and was it the teams that we thought were gonna cut down the nets? With so South Carolina on the women's side and Kansas on the men's side, and so first, first and foremost, we, we gotta ask, how was your experience at the Final Four in Minneapolis? It was cold. Um, so it was snowing in Minneapolis, which was, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, if you look at the men's tournament in New Orleans, there was, you know, there's just so much to do. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the final four. It was everything from the arena and getting to and fro. Like it's just the city itself, you know, there's a, on Sundays, like everything was shut down. That was the championship day. So it was just like, I didn't. Well, that sucks. Yeah. Like, if you think about it, all the Kansas fans <laughs> after the game, they come back and, you know, they want to party after the game and they could head out, head over to Bourbon Street and have a grand old time. And then, you know, Alyssa Lang and I are leaving uh, the Target Center and nothing's open. And I'm like, could you imagine <laughs> all the South Carolina fans that, that traveled there that would love to celebrate? So, I, you know, it. I heard it was just, uh, you know, the city itself, COVID and some other things like just precautions that on Sundays, a lot of things weren't open, which I just, it was different. It was different, you know? Um, but it was really, it was fun because I got to go to a couple, um, SIG parties, which is, um, an agency and I had a couple tie-ins there. So that was cool to just kind of interact with coaches or not. Um, <laughs> But the best story I have is meeting Cheryl Swoops. There you go. Legend. Wow. Sat Give me down. the deets on that one. Well, I was with my buddy, Rachel Galligan, you know, um, two mid former mid-majors ballers or whatever. She was a mid-major baller. And uh, we were hanging out and she knows everyone because she's she's got all the ties. She breaks all the stories. She's the women's insider, so I'm rolling with her. And she sees Cheryl Swoops. She's like, Steffi, let's go sit down. I'm like, no, no. Uh, I'm not I'm not drinking through the weekend because I got to work. Like, I'm not partying. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I got a club soda and lime, which everyone gave me shit for, by the way. I was like, look. I've, well, of course they did. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel better. Like, I want to be on, like, this is the final four. I want, you know. Uh, yes, I I can't deal with the next day. That's my problem. In the words of in the words of Carolyn Peck, you need to toughen the f up. That's what she tells me all the time. <laughs> so I said, no, I don't want to sit. I don't want to sit. Like, no, that's I'm. That's li literally Cheryl Swoops was like my childhood idol, childhood idol, and she's like three feet away from me. And we sit down, and I said, and I extend my hand out. I said, hey, Cheryl. She says, hey, Steffi. I nearly shit myself. There we go. You are now the star, right? She said, and I said, oh, whoa. Uh, you know, I, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> she's, she watches a lot of college basketball. She goes, I watch tons of games. She goes, I know I know who you are. She's like, you know, you do a great job. And that's that was, 
you know, that made my life. And of course, I told her next, instead of playing a cool rich, I said my AOL screen name when I was in sixth grade was SS Swoops 22. <laughs> Named after you. And she was like, like your initials and my name. And I was like, she said, I'll drink to that. So, okay. <laughs> Definitely a moment to remember. Of course. Told my parents. I mean, I was like, I was like, I met Cheryl Swoops. She knew who I was. Like, it was totally surreal. But um, yeah, it was fun. It was moments like that. I was like, you know, I can't believe I get to be on the same floor as, uh, you know, Lobo and Holly Rowe and everybody that did the game. My girl, Andrea Carter, killed it. So it was fun. It was good. I'm not normally out there like interacting or, you know, you just kind of do your job, you fly home next, do your job, fly home next. This was more interactions. So uh, I don't know if you saw the Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi show, but I did. My boss said it was a, a hit. What was it like? I didn't get to see it. Well, I, you know, it's I had. They're in their element, just them them two together, I should did, did say. Did they say I that mean, they were actually drinking, or did it just appear that they were drinking? You know, if they did say they were drinking, I didn't catch that, but they were definitely relaxed. And you could tell they were trying, I mean, they were having a good time, and they didn't care. Okay. That's the bottom line. It was, we're here, we're just talking, and, you know, I mean, they were they were... They were showing, you know, drinking, but I don't know what was in their cups. Yeah. You know, and that's the, I guess, the million dollar question. Well, that second Did half. actually have Second alcohol? half, as, they, as their Yukon Huskies were getting smoked, I'd be drinking too. Yes. So they that were just was letting ugly it, for Yukon. They were letting yes. it loose. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. I wish I could have heard some of it. it. It was actually just, I haven't, I don't know, Rich, for you either, since you work in broadcasting too, is like, have you been to it? When's the last time like you sat and didn't listen to anything while you're watching a game? Ooh, yeah, that's a good you question. Know, usually you just plug in like just so you can hear what whoever's calling the game and you're watching the game or you're working the game. It's, you know, one or the other. But I was just, I just I didn't have any headphones in. I was just watching the game. So it was actually kind of cool um, to just watch. Yeah, did you enjoy that? I missed hearing, you know, what Ryan and Lobo you know, and everybody is saying, but um, I did catch Holly's interview with Gino after the first quarter, which he said it is what it is. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that was awesome. <laughs> That's right. That was awesome. I mean, what an honest, like what an honest um, take from Gino about the situation. Like the, the first five minutes, I mean, I was there. It wasn't even close. They took their, they took their men, their money from them and ran. I mean, it was. Yes, they did. I mean that was that was the ball game right there. I mean UConn made their little run or whatever, but it was over at that point, in my opinion. Yeah, um, you know, and there was all kinds of weird rumors about Connecticut being sick and yes, stuff they were like talking that. about that. Yeah, and they didn't expand on it though, to be honest with you. But they did mention it that they some players. I don't know if it was some type of stomach issue or whatever it was, but they did mention that briefly. I was there. I mean, I watched them. I mean, if someone was sick, I mean, it's a national championship game. I mean, Paige, you know, it was Paige versus South Carolina. Nobody, Kristen Williams, I think, had two points. She just got taken in the draft last night. I'm like, she didn't show up. I was sitting next to some Connecticut media, and they were like, Kristen to have a goose egg? Like, that killed them. That killed them. That's right. Yeah, no, no support whatsoever. And then we had talked about it previously that it wasn't, for South Carolina, it just couldn't be all Aaliyah Boston. 
Although she could carry a team, but against somebody like UConn, you were going to have to get some other players to step up, and especially the guard play and hell. Yeah. Destiny Henderson and <laughs> just went off, right, yeah. in championship game. I mean, that's what they needed. I was really happy for Destiny because I followed her for the past four years, and, she, you know, she waited her turn. She waited her time turn behind Ty Harris, and then as a sophomore, she didn't really play that much. She played the two and never complained to Don Staley. She didn't transfer, um, and she got a ring, and she played her best game on the biggest stage. And she's a good kid. She's a good kid. Comes from a good family. I uh, was really happy for her because it good things can happen from waiting, and that's the story for Destiny. It, it was ultimately her destiny to win a ring, you know, like, and then she got and and then she got taken in the WNBA draft. So, uh, which most people, I don't, I don't know if she what where they projected her going into the final four, but she, she, she earned that because she, I don't, not most people weren't talking about her. Yeah, and that's what's interesting because I, I felt that maybe she would go higher in the draft. I think she went number twenty, yeah. and I was wondering if she would go just a little bit higher based on, you know, how it happens sometimes, how players can play the last time you see them does that change a little bit of your view on that particular player and sometimes you get caught up and you make mistakes thinking that oh look how well they played right there their value goes up a little bit and it might not be as accurate but I I thought she probably would have went a little bit higher in the draft but kudos to her she got drafted yeah I mean there was some interesting picks um you know, the SEC had three in the top 10, which is, is good for the conference. The, the the player that I was probably the most high on was Emily Engsler out of Louisville. Yes, you talked about her I quite have, a bit. Yeah, yes, I knew even, she was a lottery pick, man. And people were like, no, she's going to fall. I was like, way too good. She had 23 steals in the NCAA tournament. Like, she's just a she's just a different breed. I don't know. Just a different breed. I would want her on my team. But I think Oh, I would too after watching her because I did not watch her that much until you started talking about her. And especially in the tournament, you had mentioned her yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. And she definitely came to play. Well, if, if anybody watched the final four when she fouls out and you could feel the whole team just go like, you know, she's crying on the bench. I mean, that's she got one year there with Jeff and that team. And that's, you know, she meant a lot to them. But I think the uh Lexi Hull going six. I don't think many people had her being drafted or maybe in the second or third round. Yeah. Yes. Now I heard them talking about that on the broadcast that, you know, ooh, I love Lexi. Surprise. You know, I love I Lexi. Know. <laughs> yes. You have talked about her too. It, that was, I, I guess, a surprise that going that high. I mean, top yeah. 10. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> think anybody uh, saw that coming, but you know, look, the fever had a shitload of picks. They had three in the first round. So uh, Nelissa Smith was, you know, their number two pick. And, you know, I, she could have gone one. I, I really thought one through three could be interchangeable. We've kind of talked about who would be the, you know, number one pick on the women's side. We'll see on the men's side. And are you side. happy with Ryan Howard at number one? Yeah. If you're building a team, do you take her number one? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the pieces and it depends on the needs. Okay. So if you're, if it, it, at the pro level, it's really not about, um, this skill set, it's what do you need and, you know, what? how how good can this player be? And I think um, Ryan being just solely being a professional basketball player and really getting thrown into training camp, she's going to find out pretty soon. Pretty quickly. Pretty, you know, what is the level I have to play at? But I think that 
And I saw it really in March going into April. When she really when, when she really wants it, it's really tough to guard her. And she's unstoppable. She's unstoppable. And the skill set that she has. hundred percent. Skill set that she has. I just don't think you can really, like, you're just not given that, right? She no. just has it. So my right. thing is when she gets in a training camp, and, and I think that given the, you know, the SEC is, you know, we got some pro bodies. You know, she's seen a lot of pro type defenses. So I think that, you know, within the first few days of training camp, she, that gear that she could maybe rely on in the third or fourth quarter, she's going to have to have it for four quarters. And I think that 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 is she knows that we've talked about it. You know, that's what everybody, every GM asked of her, told her we need to see this all the time. So that's the challenge. And she does have a different style. You know, it, it's not it's not uh, an Emily Ingsler and Melissa Smith balls to the wall, like just constant. Right. Her, it's there's a uh, she just plays a little bit different. And I'm curious how that translates. I mean, her, her the intangibles, her skill. I mean, it's all number one. One thousand percent. The ceiling for her is so high because if she puts together just that mental side and that effort side combined with her skill set. I mean, she's easily the number one pick and will be a superstar uh, in the WNBA. And for the Atlanta Dream, I mean, they need somebody that has that type of skill set. And But will she be able to put that all together? And, you know, it's not always that easy. And if you're not already kind of built that way, and that's where I just saw some times where she was passive and she would kind of disappear a little bit in some of the games. And that's my only concern that are you going to be able to turn it on and keep it on? Yeah. Uh, Cause you have to do that at that type of level uh, to be very successful. Obviously, I mean, you can have some games where you're off or whatever it just happens, but yeah. the effort that you have to put forward is definitely going to be different. And I'm just hoping that that translates for her, as you've mentioned. Yeah. I mean, she's not, you know, she's, uh, not too far away. I mean, she's not from Georgia. I want to say she's from Tennessee. Um, so I think there, you know, her mom played at Florida. So that was a, you know, uh, her mom's awesome. So I'm happy for her. I'm just curious how it translates. You know, and I think she's she's got all that uh, she's proven um, over time. Four years, she's weathered so many storms at Kentucky, and she stayed the course. I was happy for her. Um, yeah, hey, she was the first Kentucky player. Ever taken number one in the WNBA draft, yeah. so kudos to her. Yeah, I mean, that's a big accomplishment right there. I, I know that you know Terrence Clark and his passing has meant a lot to her this last year, and uh, you know former Kentucky men's basketball player mm-hmm. who died in a car accident, and so I, I just got to know Ryan a little bit more as a person over the past few years, and she's just a good, she's a good person, good teammate, and everyone's is very and it's fine, is critical of how she plays. She doesn't play this way. She doesn't play that. She doesn't look this way. You know, and it and it's fine. You can. I'm just like, okay, like we're about to see. I've been waiting for this moment. I've been waiting to see what it looks like. We're gonna find out. So bring it. We are. That's right. No, agreed hundred percent. Last thing on women's and we'll and we'll move on. There was a rumor flying around that Don Staley could coach in the NBA. That she could become an NBA head coach. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would ask you, do you even think that she would want to do that? 
Because I think she's actually addressed this before. Yeah. And WNBA. I'm not certain. WNBA? Yeah, I think even NBA? NBA. Yeah, I think so. Like the Charlotte Hornets at one point? Yeah, and of all things, I was at the Hornets game this past Sunday. Oh, or she was there, right? She was there, <laughs> yes. Yeah, she sure was. And they presented her with a jersey and all of that. And that would be intriguing. I I would... I would be interested to know if she would even want to. My point is that it's going to happen at some point. There will be a female yeah. head coach in basketball at some point. There definitely will at a, at a major level. I think there's already some in some of the uh, lower level colleges. And I did see even in baseball, uh, an affiliate, uh, you know, I can't remember if it's single A or double A with the Yankees. A. Yeah. Is it single A? Yeah. I mean, she's the first female manager. In single eight. So it will happen at some point. I thought it would have be Becky Hammond, though, to be honest with you. I mean, she's she was assistant with the Spurs. I mean, I thought she would eventually get the opportunity to be head coach in the NBA. But she obviously is going to the WNBA uh, there with the Aces. So I I heard that and I said, now there's, you know, I have I'm around Dawn on through the SEC all the time. And listen to her podcast net worth. And it seems that like she really enjoys coaching female basketball. Like she calls herself a dream merchant, you know, basketball gave her so much that it's her ability to give back and she'll forever be indebted to to basketball. And I see that with her players and how she talks them and what she says to us and all that. And I thought, but I did think for a second, I'm like, think about like the perception the coaching style and all the things attached to Dawn. She's got two titles now, the hell of a player that she was. She's uh, Olympic medal Olympian yeah. and has coached uh, for She's a, gold a hall medal. of famer hall also. Of famer. Okay. So, but I'm just saying, you know, some of the women coaching men is like this. I don't, I hope this isn't perceived to be as like a sexist thing, but it's like, are guys going to listen to her? Or is it? Are, oh, it's a very valid question. Yeah. And I'm like, shit. Why would, if I was, it's Dawn Staley. I mean, like the way that she presents and the way that she coaches, like, I think that, I think that guys would really gravitate towards that. Like Especially, having known her, I'm like, I, I think that like guys would enjoy playing for her. She's a player's coach. She is. a. That's what I was about to say. In today's game, I think they would embrace that because she is a player's coach. I really do. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a, heavy level of demand that she places on her players, which would translate to the pros. And and maybe it would be in a way that like she could lay the path for other women to do that because she has look, think about the contract that she got. You know, she's, she is always trying to push, you know, for more, for more. And so that's what I think it's interesting. You know, if there was someone that I think could do it, I would bet that Don would be someone that could definitely coach men and they would be like, like they would ride for her, like just like her players do for South Carolina. I don't know. Just something that I heard that I was like, no, nah. I was like, maybe actually, <laughs> you know, it would be interesting just to see what you were talking about, how she's helping a lot of these young women live out their dreams and the opportunities. So would she feel like she's giving that up Yeah, and not being able to help you know, all those young women. And now, she still could be that example and maybe open doors, you know, on 
that side to be able to coach men and et cetera. And, but I think that's going to be such a smaller population of people that she could help versus what she could do on the women's side and really helping, you know, all those players. I agree. I think that, you know, her ability to connect with people is it transcends sex, sex. It's she could connect to a, a guy Yes. Based on her background, oh. Philly Tough and the way that she cared, you know? Philly Tough. Oh, yes. I just, we always hear the same names throughout the NBA. It's like you wonder, like, if there was going to be something different that someone tried. Um, but I think her reach on the women's side is just far too great. I hope I hope that we we can keep her. Yeah. You know? Agreed. Well, when I had her on my podcast, uh, Podcast Alumni, a rich take on sports, which, of course, Steffi, you've been on. I loved when she talked about, uh, growing up in Philly and she called it the big boy court. And that's where, you know, the, I mean, the guys were out there playing and when she was growing up, she wanted to get out there and they wouldn't let her play. And then she just kept practicing and practicing. And then they eventually, right. They let her play a little bit, to, you know, just, uh, yeah, come on out here, Dawn. And then she got so damn good that she was getting picked first out there, you know, <laughs> yeah. on the big boy court. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what I love. And so you talk about tough. Oh, she's she's been on those streets there in Philly and in the playgrounds in Philly. Uh, so she can definitely relate to the men's side also. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, there's going to be a lot of... Uh, a lot of moves. I mean, the portal's insane. I don't know what it is on the men's. There's 1,200 in the women's portal right now. So, uh, it's more on that on the men's. I don't have the exact number, but it's more. It's more. I mean, it's it's insane. What yes. are your what are Let's move to the men. So, what? Give me some names that have already jumped out at you that are leaving their schools. Yeah, on the men's side, I think the biggest name is actually a guy that I think a lot of people probably don't even really recognize and that's Kendrick Davis out of SMU he's the reigning AAC player of the year and this is a guy who can score in multiple different ways but when you look at the overall picture with the transfer portals it's it's not like necessarily big names necessarily it's some of these guys that uh, like a Ty Ty Washington out of Kentucky they're declaring for the NBA draft so you're having those type of situations. You've got Walker Kessler, Jabari Smith, all declaring for the NBA draft. But you do have somebody like a Brandon Murray that was LSU. Now he's going to Georgetown. You've got Terrence Shannon Jr. Uh, from Texas Tech. You know, where's he going to go? Uh, you know, those type of guys. Manny Bates, uh, you know, from NC State, who has battled shoulder injury after shoulder injury and hasn't really played but his ceiling is so high if he can stay healthy. He's a big 6'11 guy. I mean, he's a shot blocker extreme. Should he go to Purdue? I mean, since... Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you've always said that. Purdue School is where these guys go. <laughs> Call right. him up. Yes. Call him up. Yeah, hey, Matt Painter doesn't care. Bring him on up, right? These big 6'11 guys, shot blockers, that's just the way the Purdue is. But there's a ton of guys in the transfer portal right now. And the real question is going to be, how is it going to play out? Will people find a home? When you look at, even like at LSU, I mean, they've got multiple guys transferring out where they only had six players left on their roster after this coaching change. And it's interesting, you know, some people had talked about that, okay, I get the transfer portal if it's a situation where there's a coaching change, then I can understand that. 
Well, now there's a coaching change at LSU. And now because it's eight plus players that are transferring, people are saying, wait a second, that's wrong. Well, uh, hold on. You said it was okay if there's a coaching change, but now you're upset because it's the number of players that are transferring out, or at least putting their name in the transfer portal. So you're never going to win in this argument with the transfer portal for some people out there. It's not about coaching changes, and it's not about playing time anymore. It's about money. NIL? That's what you're saying? Where can I go to make the most money? I heard it from plenty of people over the weekend. Because when players come in, they want to know, how can I be a better player, student, and my brand? Three things. And if you're not building my brand, and I'm not making the most money that I can, and I can go somewhere else and make more money, then I'll leave. So I think a lot of these transfers are about straight up. And people can't, you know, coaches are limited on what they can say, and players are probably not going to talk about it. But that's just the truth, you know, because you're, I know on the women's side, there are star players leaving programs and you're like, what in the hell? They can make more money elsewhere. It is what it is. You know, like I just, I, my, my biggest thing, and this is men's and women's basketball is coaches, I think are complaining less about the portal because they utilize the portal. So it's a good thing. It's also a bad thing. It's a revolving door, but you're recruiting players and you want to grow players and you want them to get better. But then you take in a transfer, then that takes away from your players that are coming in and that are expect they wait their turn their freshman year, sophomore year, they want to play more. You bring in a grad transfer, then their playing time diminishes. Then they leave. It's a cycle that continues to go on, but it's like, it is what it is. That's why they're going to have to, they're going to have to add a staff position of someone who just manages the portal. I can't imagine how there's not one on the football side where you're, well, there is, there is, a, there, there are, I, there, I have heard, yes. but I didn't, I didn't have it confirmed. There is. Okay. That makes sense. Definitely. Because you're finding out if your players, first of all, your players that are leaving through social media, then you got to go hunt down other players through their social media. Who's leaving. It's full-time job, full-time job, just managing the portal. 100%. And unfortunately, you know, for these players, I think it's so short-sighted on them just to be chasing money because that's not going to be the best situation. And unfortunately, they're going to have to learn the hard way. And that's just the reality of life. And the grass is not always greener. I'm all about having the transfer portal and having the opportunity where players can go where they want to, but they also have to understand there's consequences. When you make some of these decisions, you're going to have to live with it. And there's definitely some boundaries that are there. Like you can't just transfer each and every year. You can only transfer once unless you then, you know, get your uh, degree. Then you can transfer without having to sit out uh, again. So, I mean, there's a a little bit of that. But I, I do agree with you that the NIL is changing some of the transfer portal situations. No question. And then you add... Yeah. yeah. And then you add the whole COVID year in there. There's still a bunch of players that out there right now that can still claim that COVID year. So that allows them that opportunity to transfer. So it's just like everything coming together all at once. The transfer portal opens the COVID year, extra year of eligibility, then NIL. It's college basketball and college sports hasn't seen these many changes come together all at once. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It, you think about, so it used to just be coaches and parents and in the player's head. My coaches say this, my parents say this, whoever's 
overseeing, you know, what the student athlete does or whatever. Now we got agents, marketing, publicists, yes. PR. It, it, so much of it, and, and parents that are seeing their child make a bunch of money, but also feel like there's missed opportunities. I mean, there is so much. I mean, I heard da, uh, Dabo go off on it um, about the transfer portal. And I don't know if you saw some of the things that I he did. said. It just came out. Yeah. So this past weekend, the story from Chris Lowe on ESPN reported about how Dabo actually is talking about their needs to be a complete overhaul in college sports or college football, I should say. And is it, you know, going to the way it's structured right now? Is it, is it going to need some type of blowing up and almost restarting? And it's interesting him talking about the transfer portal and NIL, and he's not against either one. He just thinks that there needs to be some more boundaries, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, some guardrails with both. But the one thing that I did disagree with him on, and I'm curious your thoughts here, he talked about the transfer portal and said that my transfer portal is right here, the locker room. And that's what I utilize. And if I go out to the transfer portal, then I'm telling guys here on the team that I don't believe in you and I don't think you can be a player here. But he's doing that and every coach in the country is doing that every single year when they're out recruiting yeah. and bringing in a new class because their job is to go out and recruit a player that is better than they currently have. That's just the reality of it. I mean, they can say, you know, that it might be a little bit different, but when Dabo had Deshaun Watson, guess who he was also recruiting? Trevor Lawrence, right? right. I mean, and now Deshaun Watson left early and Trevor Lawrence left early also. But when he had Trevor Lawrence, he was recruiting DJ Uyunglele. I mean, he's trying to get players that are going to be better than he currently has. So I don't understand the situation of him saying that if I go to the transfer portal, then I'm telling the guys here on the team that I don't believe in you. Yeah, it's been a few years, I feel like, and you're, you're closer to the school than I am, that Clemson has been in the national conversation in terms of being a top four team, top three, you know, in, in the playoffs and all that. And I don't... And I, oh, you're just trying to rub it in now, No, huh? I'm just wondering if, yeah. if there is a... If it's just coincidental or his comments rub student-athletes the wrong way. And the coaches who have been kind of the most quiet, Nick Saban, Kirby, like, I haven't heard them really say stuff about it. You know, Jimbo had his had his he teed off on something, but he was pissed at some Lane Kiffin and all that. He it was something other than it was. It, it's not what it was. So I think some of the coaches that have stayed quiet on it have been landing, you know, really big recruiting classes. And and I think I, I love Dabo, and I've always been a fan of him, but he's been pretty outspoken on this, and I wonder if it's hurt him um, on the recruiting trail. I've just he's had one transfer come to Clemson on the football side. And that's Hunter Johnson, who just transferred from Northwestern to Clemson. It's a grad student. But the caveat is that Hunter Johnson originally signed with Clemson and played two years at Clemson and then transferred to Northwestern and then now has come back to Clemson. So it's not even really a true transfer in, in all reality because he originally was here at Clemson. Yeah. And 
Dabo is very selective, not only on the transfer portal side, but even also on offering players. And there's been a lot of talk, what you're talking about, that is this hurting Dabo right now? And are we seeing Clemson going to be falling off of the national stage, so to speak, because Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, they're using the transfer portal like crazy. And they don't have an issue with it necessarily, at least openly. And they're able to utilize it in a way that has been very effective for obviously their schools. Yeah. I'm, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I've, I think that I've, for the first few years with the portal, people bitched and now it's like, it can completely change your game. It can fast track you as a new coach overhauling a roster by blend. So like you gotta, it is what it is to quote, Gino you know, it is what it is. That's right. And, you know, I think it's some, the new reality. It is, yeah. You've, you've got to adapt. And I think that if you're asking student athletes to adapt and you know, they've, they've got it. I'm, and I'm not even, I don't feel bad for student athletes. I mean, it's just such a different world to have, um, to, to have to present in such a way that you're worried about marketing deals when you're 19. I wouldn't want that responsibility. Honestly, like I'm good. Like once I graduated, I was ready to, you know, become a pro and, and handle all of my business that way. But a lot of these kids are, they're growing up very quickly. And I just think that yes. pro professional athletes are targeted and taken advantage of. It's why, like, I don't know the percentage of when they retire, you know, there's, there's financial problems because they, they sign bad deals. They have people that basically take their power of attorney and are handling their money and people don't know what they're doing with it. And you don't want to see that happen to student athletes who just get in the hands of a, a dirty agent or someone, you know, kind of shady that wants to make money off someone and they're 20 years old playing for UNC or whatever, you know, so there's just a lot going on. And I think that everybody's just got to adapt along the way. I think people have, it's just, it's a lot, you know, I don't know if, I don't know, I don't know if you saw Jay Billis's uh, take on like the NCAA tournament and some of the things that he feels like need to improve. Not to switch gears, I did see but that. did you did you read it? It was good, and they do need to switch to quarters because Jesus oh, Christ! Oh my gosh, please! Jesus, like the resetting of the fouls, like every quarter, like it would make the game so much better, less choppy. You know, yes, um, that's a must, and some of the officiating. And I, I thought he made good points um, in that article. Jay's pretty, you know, always got solid opinions. Um, he does, and he sticks to them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean he, he he's gonna stick he to will him. stick to him, right? <laughs> Well, I know, I know he was uh, probably upset like every other Duke fan that North Carolina, the way that they did them this year on Coach K's last game. I mean, shit. I was at one of those sig parties, and they were. I mean, it was wild to watch. Uh, so many. Some of them were cheering for Duke, and some of them for UNC. And I, I'm a UNC fan, so um, I was happy for Hubert Davis. You know, everyone was shitting on him in the first 15, 20 games, and Big time. What they were able to do and come back and their team is, I, I find their team just likable, like likable group of guys to cheer for. And, and I like, uh, not that Duke isn't, but Duke's, you know, way over this year, at least for all the attention and everyone's talking about them and all that this year and Coach K's last grand finale. And, you know, play spoiler again was <laughs> amazing to watch. It was amazing. It's absolutely incredible 
you can't even script this out. I mean, again, the only way that it would have been better for North Carolina is that they actually would have beaten Duke in the national championship game <laughs> to exit Coach K out. I mean, that's the only way that story would have been better. And you you would think that, though, or at least I did, going into it, that, okay, now North Carolina, I mean, now that Duke is in the Final Four, this is it. Now the storyline is definitely going to play out that Coach K will be able to ride off into the sunset, get a national championship. All he's got to do is beat North Carolina. They're going to be so motivated to have that revenge factor against North Carolina. But this is why we love sports. You just never know how it's going to go down. And I think the game lived up to the hype in terms of a heavyweight battle between the two. And that's was the one thing that I was wanting to hopefully happen, that it would, you know, somewhat live up to the battle or live up to the hype. And, you know, I'm ultimately a North Carolina fan also growing up watching Michael Jordan hit the game winning shot against Georgetown. That was when I first started following North Carolina. But then just to see how they came together just as a team. And then after they beat Duke, I mean, I'm I'm rooting for them to win the whole thing. And I'm still convinced that if Armando Baycott doesn't get hurt, and then if Caleb Love doesn't hurt his ankle also, I think that they win the national championship because I think Caleb Love not being able to power off of his foot there at the end of the game with his jump shot. I think that impacted his jump shot tremendously. And it was just unfortunate that two ankle injuries, uh, I think, did it in for them. Obviously, give Bill Self credit uh, in in Kansas, what they were able to accomplish as a number one seed, the only number one seed to make it to the Final Four from the men's side. But I, I just found it very fascinating, just the whole concept, obviously, with the Duke and North Carolina storyline. And then North Carolina getting to the national championship game uh, was remarkable. I, I just hated that Hubert couldn't win at all. Yeah, but for Armando, I mean, for him to have 15 points, 15 rebounds, I mean, given the fact that he was playing at, at what percent, you know, 50% maybe? I'm telling you, he was yeah, he was a warrior. I, I, the warm-up shots, I'm like, not looking good. And but Exactly. I didn't think he was going to be able to run up down the court. I'm like, he's barely putting pressure on it. You know, I was I was like, please let him be okay. And, you know, he still paid 38 minutes. Um, and, you know, they were up by 15 at the half. And uh, I'm thinking, wow, you know, is, U- is UNC of all teams going to, like, win this thing, you know, and take down Kansas? And... Just, you got to credit, like, you know, Bill Self's just such a steady guy, like such a steady coach. And I just, you know, in that second half, Rich, I don't know about you, it just it just never really wavered. It was like bit by bit, just chipping away at the lead. They didn't try to get it all back at one, it's just possession by possession. And before you knew it, what is it, four or five minutes in, it was like a one-point game. I go, here we go. That's right. <laughs> well, and that's what, yeah, Kansas came out uh, a m- much more, fast-paced, up-tempo type of mentality. And I think that kind of set the tone there in the second half. And I heard Bill Self talk about they're right before halftime. They're down by 15. And he's telling his team, would you rather be down by 15 with 20 minutes left to go? Or would you rather be down by nine with two minutes to go? And he was referring to the 2008 championship game where they were down 
uh, by nine with two minutes to go against Memphis and somehow fought back and yeah. sent it into overtime and ended up winning the national championship. And I just thought that was so poignant for him to put it into perspective like that, that those the team was like, well, hell yeah. Yeah. 15 with 20 minutes to go? Yeah. Damn straight. I'll take that all day long because yeah. that seems feasible. And sure enough, that was – it seemed to be the different type of mindset that they needed. Yeah. That was so cool when he said that because he – no doubt that that was the point that he wanted to get across to his team. And if I'm thinking about him, like, doing the map, yeah, we're not in a bad spot. You know, like, that, no, that, that was that's right. such a great play uh, by Bill. And I know that it was probably emotional for him after losing losing his father. What was it, two months? Two months yes. before that? Couldn't – I just, you know – it's one hell of a way to end a season if you're Bill Self. You know what I mean? Down by 15 at the half. You lose your dad a few months ago. You get a national championship. So, I, And nobody no, nobody was really talking about Kansas as the Final Four. Yeah. I mean, it was the storyline, obviously, Duke, North Carolina, and then Villanova with Jay Wright and the injury to Justin Moore, how that was going to you know, impact the game. And Bill Self and Kansas – the number one seed just yep. sitting there. <laughs> we're we're here, guys. You know, <laughs> we're we're right here. And they didn't have obviously any problem with Villanova. Villanova was just so underpowered yeah. or undermanned, I should say, in that that final four game. And that's tough for Jay Wright, obviously losing, you know, Justin Moore. The question though is now with Bill Self, because they're still a black cloud hanging over Kansas mm-hmm. with, you know, the five level one violations, alleged violations that they're trying to figure out how that's going to play out. So there's questions how long Bill Self is going to be suspended coming up into this next season, or is Kansas even going to be eligible to try to defend their national title? I mean, they might be you know, in a situation where they have some type of postseason ban. And that would be insane if if that happened. What if they did some, something similar that Auburn did? Self-imposed. In terms of trying to... Self-imposed. Yeah, self-imposed. Yeah, I, I wonder why they haven't already, though. I don't know. I mean, honestly, it got so lost in the sauce for me when... It did. Coaches were accused and it's like some assistants were were in court and then they were okay, we're still playing... And now it's like, I don't know, I just I just kind of assume there's a level of gray area taking place. Oh, yeah, so, I would say so. <laughs> and, I, you know, look, that's I'm not a, I'm not a police officer, but the, 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 there was a gentleman who I think is in is in jail and who uh, is in jail for something that is currently legal, which is players taking money. From shoe companies. I know. So that sucks for him. Yes. Um, but that's a real that's a real thing now. So I just kind of wonder with all the new stuff that's going on, if it'll be like neutralized because of current. I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, Rich, I don't know shit. <laughs> oh, I don't either because it's so unpredictable and nobody can understand what's going on with the NCAA and this whole new entity that they have The IARP, you know, that's supposed to expedite these cases and still taking long as hell, nothing's getting done. And, you know, there's still no consistency. And that's the biggest issue that I think everybody has is that nothing's consistent. And we saw that even with the refs, (laughs) just like, what the hell, (laughs) you know, call these games 
consistent. That's all we're asking for. Uh, but it's at least we're you know at the point now we've been able to crown the champions. And I, I did feel that with South Carolina, I said it from the very beginning that they were going to run the table and win the national title. Now I thought they were going to go undefeated, so they ugh, they just didn't get two buzzer beaters that done. Two buzzer beaters. Not yes. bad, not bad. Well, not bad, yes, not bad. I mean, they they dominated the entire season. And I also feel that both Kansas and South Carolina, I think both of them would have won national championships in 2020. Ooh. During the COVID year. I still think Don Staley had a hell of a team oh, man. back then. And Kansas, they would have been the number one overall seed easily that year. And I, I think they would have won because they had a better overall team talent-wise than they did this year. So uh, it's interesting that both Kansas and South Carolina won this year, that they were two of the best teams in 2020 also. I see what you did there. Look, I think, you know, uh, South Carolina was the best team all year. They won. I think there was a lot of fluctuation maybe on the men's side, but... There was. You know, but at the end end of the day, Kansas was kind of always, I thought, a favorite. Um, But maybe maybe not. I mean, shit, they were a one seed. Oh, they were definitely one one of the favorites, yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. No, they they were definitely one of the favorites. Yeah, they definitely were. And I think now this is the 6th year on the men's side that the number 1 a number 1 seed has won the tournament. And also I should have never even thought that Duke would win the national championship because a head coach on the men's side has never won the national title over the age of 70. Oh. And coach K was 75. So Good just stat. remember that. Not Yes, you like that stat, but I didn't listen to it because I kept saying, oh, Duke's now going to win the final, you know, after they made it to the final four. Uh, and I'm still pissed at uh, Kentucky for blowing my bracket up at the very beginning by losing to St. Peter's. Yeah, that was insane. You know, but it, it was a fun March Madness for both the men's and women's tournament. I enjoyed uh, talking with you every week and shoot, yes. shooting the breeze and getting our feet wet in the uh, podcast world and just kind of learning to, how to navigate it. If we just talk too much, let us know. Probably me. Just let me know. <laughs> no, I do. Quietly. <laughs> Stephanie's great at talking. <laughs> no, but we do have a lot of exciting plans that we're going to be looking at uh, maybe a little bit in the summer, but obviously as we get closer and closer to next college basketball season. And I think that's the biggest takeaway, to be honest with you, Steffi, where the hell did the season go? I mean, here we are in April, we've crowned champions and we've had the WNBA draft. Before you know it, we'll have the NBA draft and then summertime rolls around and we'll be ready to do it all again. Because I know you need a little bit of rest, right? I mean, you need some time to recuperate. Yeah. You've got to go get your oil changed and I, spend time- $200 on an oil change. <laughs> Speaking of reminiscing on how things fly by, I remember getting Ladies' Day on Wednesdays, 1999 oil change. Got my oil change yesterday, $110. Did they? Damn. They didn't change shit other than my I, other than my oil. I'm gonna reach out to my grandpa and, and figure out how to do it myself. Six quarts of synthetic. Not a great time to have a truck. Gas, a no, bitch. Oil changes, a bitch. And you've got one of those big ass trucks too. <laughs> Yes. It's not small, but I mean, you know. No. Um, yeah, I think we're both looking forward to a little little rest from hoops, but I know that you've got some stuff um, coming up. What can? How can we uh, find some of your work? 
all types of stuff coming up. I've got a big documentary, a five-episode docu-series about the 100-year history of the Southern Conference called Super Conference, and I'm really excited about it. It should be uh, airing in the fall and right now all in the production stages. And it's just crazy when you think about some of the history of the Southern Conference because all of the teams that you think of in the SEC and the ACC they were original members of the Southern Conference. And knowing that also, which you will love, the first three-point shot officially in college basketball history was made in the Southern Conference in 1980 at Western Carolina University. So I had a great time uh, having a conversation with Dr. Ronnie Carr, the guy who made the very first official three-point shot in college basketball history. So a lot of good things there. And I'm excited about that. And Hey, just keep grinding this summer, trying to get better at this, you know, doing some color analyst work in the Big South and Southern Conference. I'm trying to follow your lead, lady, and trying to get better. Don't follow my lead. Hey, man. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but we greatly appreciate everybody listening this season to Automatic, and we will keep you posted on any updates this summer, but Get ready for the fall because we're going to be hitting it hard with a brand new season of Automatic. But if you haven't already, please follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast, And let us know your thoughts by rating and reviewing. And as always, thanks for investing your time to listen. This is Automatic. Automatic.